for nothing And bad to hop that's ready to fall If we can't dig this coal without danger We ain't gonna dig it at all And the wind blows hard up Hello and welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer. In the town of Matewan in Mingo County, West Virginia, sits a small but mighty museum. The West Virginia Mine Wars Museum preserves and interprets artifacts and historical records of the local communities affected by the West Virginia Mine Wars. The Mine Wars are known as the largest insurrection in U.S. history outside the Civil War, but stories from this period of radical labor organizing can still be hard to find. In September of 2018, the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum hosted a strike supper. Their goal was to bring people in the museum doors to learn more about the history, and to work towards busting the myth of Appalachia as a culturally and racially homogenous region. They did this by exploring and celebrating the rich cultural histories of Southern West Virginia through food. Folks from near and far gathered to share dishes from the region, And while they shared food, they also shared stories of personal family histories, immigration to and from the area, and the rich cultural legacies of the Southern Appalachian coal fields. Mine Wars Museum board member Wilma Steele welcomed a class from Virginia Tech to the event and gave a little background about why the museum wanted to host the strike supper. The very thing I love the most The reason why I do what I do is I love the diversity of life in America. I love when we look at different people that are different and we don't see somebody we don't like. We see a human being. We see our brother. We see our neighbor. And it doesn't matter where they live in Virginia or West Virginia or Kentucky. It's people treating others like people that have the same needs as anybody else. That's why I'm a part of the Mine Wars Museum. That's why I'm here today. We're organizing today, not only to eat, because we've learned how important food is about bringing people together. And all of a sudden, we may not like that person, but boy, we sure do like Mexican food. <laughs> and that happens all over with all kinds of food. All this Chinese I love that Chinese restaurant. I may not like them, but boy, I like that food. So food brings us together. That's why we're eating here today. We're also exploring those stories from the coal fields because when the coal companies brought all their workers in, they made sure they put them on different groups in the mines, they settled them in different places because people that don't like each other and don't speak the same language don't organize to be a union. So we can keep you separate, keep you fighting. I don't have to worry about a union. Well, that's what happened in the coal fields. I grew up about six miles from here at Red Jacket. And across the road from me was a Hungarian man that I loved named Christine. And the uh, lady from Germany, she was a hardesty, and I loved her. So I grew up with this diversity in the coal fields. At May 1, I went to school with black and white students together in 1950s in my little county at May 1 in Mingo County. Also growing up here, 
I went to swimming pool at Williamson, which is still Mingo County, and we had no rules against blacks and whites swimming in the same swimming pool in 1950s and 60s. I swam there with kids that were different than me. In May 1, I went to school with kids that were different than me. In Red Jacket, where I grew up, my favorite people was the Hungarian and the lady from Germany, and I loved them. And over the years, some of the changes were, like if you fit in with our group better, we like you more. <laughs> well, it wasn't like that with me. I always liked them all, because I think we are all brothers and sisters, and we need to start doing that. So I've been telling about the story of Blair Mountain, and I've been giving out these bandanas for the past decade. And the story about this bandana starts, you know, really at Blair Mountain. They all these people that didn't speak the same language, that fought each other and lived at different places that were fighting each other, all of a sudden had to tie on these bandanas and march. And a few thousand of them did that. Now, if, say, 3,000 to 7,000, I don't know how many people that didn't even speak the same language could come together to do something, then surely Americans <laughs> with different backgrounds could start doing that too. No matter what political party we're in, we need to start doing that. And we also are trying to organize here to celebrate this 100th year anniversary. But because we believe the story of Blair and these coal miners that's been left out of the textbooks needs to be taught everywhere. Because in it is the message, how do we come together despite all the differences? And we gotta find out what we all need and how do we connect with those needs and realize we're not that different. We may look different. We may have some very interesting background differences and love the food that they have over at their house. So we gotta tap into that good. And that's what we try to do. When I tell them about the bandana story, I tell them that I learned that the American quilters called these Persian pears, the little paisley design. And they also called them Welch pickles. Now I see why they called them Welch pickles because all of the people from those areas came into the coal fields and they brought their bandanas, their sashes and their vests with the emblems from all of their labor unions and lodge groups that were all over Europe and the Middle East and they brought them right here to mate one. And so it became Persian pickles and Welch pears. So I got the Welch pears, but Persian pickles, they had nothing to do with the mine wars. They didn't have anything to do with the, the uh, communist movement in Russia during the years, the same time, just before our mine wars march happened. They weren't even the communist reds from there, Persian pickles. And then I found out this little design goes back to ancient Persia. The little symbol in the middle of the paisley is always a little flower that represents eternal life. It looks like a drop of, of food when you're cooking. It looks like tears dropping out of our eyes. If you put two paisleys together, it makes a heart. Because anything that we share, our tears, our joy, our work, our passions, brings us together in connection. 
So that's all a part of this Paisley. So I found out this little Paisley design was one of their ancient civilizations in all the world. And then it went from there to Kashmir, India. And in, at Kashmir, they made beautiful, expensive Kashmir scarves. And they made these scarves with Paisley designs that came from ancient Persia. And they sold them all over Europe because, man, that Kashmir is expensive. And it sells well with rich people. And it's got beautiful art designs. They love it. Still for the rich people, the elite people. And of course, in Persia, they weren't making quilts like they were here in Appalachia. They were making tile works, individual squares of tile. And they painted each individual square. And that beautiful artwork on that piece, they put together in a quilt or in a floor in a temple or on the ceiling of a mosque in the Middle East. And the Persian artwork of putting these designs on little squares. And there's something that happens, and it don't matter where it's on the mosque in the Middle East or an Appalachian quilt in West Virginia. When you take each individual piece, it's like an artwork all by itself. It's an individual, and it's beautiful. But when you line them up, either with repeating patterns or with contrast, one thing that happens, the corner of every piece matches up with the other corners in this whole ceiling or the whole bed, and diamond shapes, circles, squares, bigger symbols appear all over that bed or all over that ceiling. It's like individual people. We are our own person, our individual person. And we have our own characteristics, our own skills and all of those. And we need to join up with groups that allows us to be us, first of all. I don't need to have permission to be Wilma Steele from Red Jacket, West Virginia, or Mate One, or Buffalo Creek, where I was born. I got that as a citizen of America. I'm supposed to have gotten it. And it shouldn't change because of my educational status or where I was born or how much money I have. But when we join our sisterhoods and brotherhoods of compassion, where we care about all people, our eyes are expanded. And our ability to make those beautiful quilt pieces become bigger designs. So here's what I do. I give these bandanas out. And if I don't have enough, I will send you one to make sure you get them. And I've been giving these out for the past decade, and some of them's got two, so please pass them on. So the bandanas I'll give you as a gift, but they're not free. Here's the thing you got to do. You've got to find those groups that allows you to be you, that you don't have to make excuses for how you look or what color your skin is or where you were born or who you voted in the last election. That's your business, nobody else's. But we'll celebrate you who, for who you are. You don't have to change to fit in the real soul groups that we need to find. You also need to join, just like those pieces in the quilt on the top of the bed or on that ceiling, 
we've come together in artistic patterns that repeats patterns and has variety too. Just like the geometric design in the Paisley uh, bandanas and the organic, living things and man-made man man things in harmony. So your challenge is to find groups that accept you and loves you like you are. And also find groups that you can join with to do something more than just one person can do. Like I could have never built a museum, but those people inside that building helped me, you know, like build a museum. It wasn't even my first goal. My first goal was loving the civil rights history. I am a deep, passionate person about human rights and civil rights. Even here in Mingo County, which sometimes you'd wonder if we got it yet. We used to have it when I was growing up. And so I'm asking people to find those groups that help bring out the very best of you. Many people brought food that reminded them of their childhoods or ancestors. Former Mine Wars Museum director Katie Lauer welcomed attendees to get up and talk about the dishes they made. Uh, 
uh, keep things going at there. She saved everything she had, actually bought a restaurant here in Maple and was very successful with it. I uh, did a great job with the family. But cooking with her was great. She never measured anything. She never wrote anything down. So when you said, Mama, how do you make that? You're going to the kitchen. You can go into the kitchen. And she would make you fix it. And she would tell you, no, too much, no, not enough. And she said, you taste it. And if it tastes good to you, then it's good enough for everybody else. And, but that's how we learned how to cook. And after she passed away, we realized there were some things that she fixed that no one really remembered. So we had to do a lot of trial and error with, with ingredients and, 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 and everything like that to figure out those, those recipes. But we've handed it down now. I have two sisters that uh, both took my daughters and grandchildren are learning how to do it as well. It's been an amazing time. But if you'd like to know about my grandmother a little bit more and, and a little bit before that story, I've got that with me and it's got the recipes for the dishes that I made. If you're welcome to come by, I'll be happy to give those to you. Uh, any questions? How much is it? How much is what? How much is the, the secret recipe? The secret the recipe. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing is, is I can give you all the Hungarian recipes, but she made chili for hot dogs for the Sherilyn Snack. Everybody remember the Sherilyn Snack? Well, I know some of y'all do. Uh, some of the best hot dogs you've ever eaten. I'm not allowed to give out chili recipe. I figure out what I'm going to do. I would be killed if I gave out chili recipe. But uh, yeah, if you come on by if you have any questions or if you'd like a recipe for anything. Yeah, we have a
you know, foods that simmer for a long time, aren't really complicated, don't have expensive ingredients. And I guess that's a problem I made. That, I, I don't know how to really make too much other Hungarian food. Y'all so. <laughs> <laughs> <Got> want <one>, German? <laughs> All right then. <laughs> Listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. In this episode, we're hearing from the Strike Supper, an event hosted by the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum in Matewan, West Virginia, in September of 2018. We just heard folks sharing stories of the dishes they made and brought to the event, and next, we'll hear the presentation of the Red Bandana Awards to important people in southern West Virginia. All of the incredible cooks um, 
even those who didn't want to come to see it. So up next is one of the other sort of big showcases of the evening, um, which is that uh, this year we're excited for the first time to offer out an award um, leaders in our state with um, Red Bandana Award. And I believe Chuck is going to tell us a little bit more about that and uh, help us give you the word that's All right. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Chuck Keeney. Obviously, I'm with the Mine Morris Museum. I know a lot of people in here, and I hope everyone's enjoying things. And uh, Lou roped me into doing this this afternoon, so thanks, Lou. I appreciate it. Uh, but we do have some prepared statements. Uh, the Red Man Day Award is something that we just started. It's a new uh, tradition that we're beginning here uh, with the museum. And uh, there are several different uh, awards. And what we're going to do is we'll go through uh, each of them. And uh, then you can come up and get your uh, plaque and your ceremonial uh, complimentary red bandana. And then if you have a few remarks that you would like to say and thanks, you're welcome to do so. Although you're not required, except for Hawkeye. You have to give a 20 minutes to Hawkeye. <laughs> uh, so the first uh, award uh, is called the Rank and File Rebel Award. And uh, that goes to individuals who embody the spirit of Dan Chain. Dan Chain was also known as Few Clothes Johnson. By the way, each of these awards is named after an individual uh, within uh, the mind work or mind work community. Dan Chain was known as Few Clothes Johnson. And Chain was known for his courage in the face of long odds. He overcame fear and transcended the racism of his time. Chain helped lead the miners during the Paint Creek and Cabin Creek strike. Rank-and-file rebels have played a critical role in the labor movement, and this year's Rank-and-file Rebel Award goes to Emily Comer and Jay O'Neill. You may recognize them as two West Virginia school teachers who helped organize this year's Teachers' Strike, uh, which, of course, uh, began here in West Virginia, and they swept the nation. Last October, almost a year ago, Emily and Jay started a private Facebook page. By February, that page had 33,000 members who laid the groundwork to strike in all 55 counties. After West Virginia teachers and service employees won a 5% increase, teachers in other states, like Oklahoma, Arizona, and Kentucky, began to follow their example. Jay and Emily were listed among Politico's top 50 ideas and people driving politics in America today. Jay said, quote, unions are standing and fighting again. We've been playing defense for too long. Emily Connor, a Spanish teacher in South Charleston, said 33,000 people besides Jay and me made this happen. She added, but I'm also really excited that our movement is growing and that rank-and-file worker organizing is getting the kind of national attention that it deserves. And giving Jay and Emily this award, we are recognizing the important work of many, many rank-and-file rebels and, of course, the teachers. So congratulations to them. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're not here. Uh, and they uh, were unable to make it. They send... Uh, uh, their regrets that they couldn't be here, but um, we'll see that they uh, get, the, get the plaques in the mail and then we'll give it out to them. But uh, we wanted to make sure that they were on it. Our second one is the Mate One History Maker Award, and it goes to an individual like Sid Hatfield. 
who will be remembered for their dedication to make wine and to the town's rich history. By standing up to the Baldwin Phelps agents in 1920, Sid Hatfield inspired the miners and their families all across the state. And his death the following year sparked an uprising of 10,000 miners who stood up for their rights. He will forever be known as the miners' hero. This year's Make One History Maker Award goes to a man who was equally dedicated to the town of Make One, Johnny Fulham. Mr. Fulham graduated from Make One High School in 1963 and served in the U.S. Army from 1965 to 1968. Earned a bachelor's and master's degree from Marshall University and then returned to Mingo County. He married Lorena Sue Ratcliffe, taught at the Red Jacket High School, and was elected to Make One Town Council in 1979. In 1984, he was elected mayor of Maywarn, the first African-American to hold that office. He served as president of the Williamson NAACP and has received the Peace and Harmony Award in 2009. His dedication to his hometown could not be denied, and over a lifetime he helped so many, and he was revered by so many that it's, as he has often said, Johnny will never be forgotten. Tonight, accepting the award on his behalf, Stephen Mullen, Patricia Brown, and Francine Jones. all chose to um, give uh, Johnny this award because um, just like the Union miners who fought and uh, did not give up, um, Johnny, uh, he fought for the town of Maywood. Uh, as long as Johnny um, was mayor. He worked hard to um, make changes for the town and to make improvements for the town. And not only did he, um, he didn't just do the work himself, he brought members of the community together. Everybody wanted to work together for a change. And it made improvements to the town. And just like the union minds, you all work together to make a change. You stick together and you work together. And that's that's what we've got to do, people. Yes. We've got to work together in order to make things happen. And that's why I believe in the union. And that's why Johnny Paul, I believe, no, I know, um, this award means so much. To us, our family. And thank you. Thank you. All right, up next is the History Keeper Award. This is given to an individual who embodies the spirit of Carter G. Woodson. Born in 1875 and the son of former slaves, Carter got a job at the mines of Fayette County as a teenager. He later finished high school and earned degrees from Berea College and Harvard. He later, and then became a dean at West Virginia State College, 
1926 started what would become Black History Month. Carter's legacy of preserving neglected history lives on in this year's recipient, Gordon Simmons. Uh, and Gordon's with uh, his work with labor and union history is uh, extensive. He was first elected chief steward of the West Virginia Public Workers Union, UE Local 170, in 2006, before becoming a full-time field organizer and grievance representative for them in 2008. Serving in that capacity, Gordon testified on behalf of student Katie Sierra in 2002. This is in her successful trial when she was prohibited from starting an anarchist group on the campus of Sissonville High School. Gordon uh, has been a keeper of West Virginia history for nearly 35 years, and he became a member of the uh, West Virginia Labor of History Association in 1984, and he became president in 2006, and he served there ever since. The Labor History Association has participated in numerous public exhibits and historic preservations over the years, uh, highlighting the stories of Italian workers in the coal field, Belgian glass workers, and of course, uh, creating the West Virginia Labor Hall of Fame, or Hall, Hall of Honor, I should say. And when Blair Mountain Battlefield was delisted from the National <coughs> Register of Historic Places, Gordon and the Labor History Association joined state and federal lawsuits to relist the battlefield. Finally, Gordon's work extends to Maple, as he and his organization have been ardent supporters of the Mine Board Museum from the time of its conception to the present day. So it's a great pleasure, I guess. Uh, this year's award to Gordon. Thank you all. I feel in uh, pretty uh, esteemed company with the other folks that got these awards. Uh, I will say, you know, the mention of Emily and Jay, maybe think that. That was it, back in February, we started seeing uh, red bandanas all over the school district of West Virginia. And, and I think one thing that I kind of figured out at that point was, I used to think this is like our tradition, our history, our past, but I think it may be our future. And this goes to an individual who embodies the spirit of Frank Keeney. I don't know why this is kind of my favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frank Keeney served as president of the United Mine Workers in District 17, uh, and of course was president of the State Federation of Labor. In 1921, of course, he helped organize the march on Blair Mountain. He often spoke truth to power. In 1913, he refused to abide by the Hatchfield Agreement led the miners back out on wildcat strikes to achieve victory. In later years, he started his own union, his own labor party, uh, and, and edited a labor newspaper, never ceasing to tell the stories of hardship and oppression in the coal mines. Truth tellers educate the public. Truth tellers are guardians. Doug Eastead has been a guardian of mine wars history for over 20 years. Doug played a vital role in saving the Jefferson County Courthouse where the treason trials of abolitionists John Brown and the treason trials after the Battle of Blair Mountain occurred. 
teaming up with community members in Charlestown led by the successful nine-year legal and political battle to save the building from the wreckers' ball. In 2009, the courthouse was uh, rededicated <coughs> after a $2 million restoration. The following year, Doug created Cold Country Tours. And that was a means to support the efforts to save Blair Mountain and as a way to celebrate our wonderful coal heritage and our history in this region. Doug has made the story of West Virginia miners come to life through these tours, many of whom have come to our museum in the last three years. Doug has also generously loaned Mine Wars artifacts to our museum. By the way, he just donated some great artifacts from General H.H. H. Banfold, which will be a new exhibit here in a few months. And uh, these artifacts and all his efforts help to tell us the truth of this history. So for his preservation work, his public education efforts, and his contributions to heritage tourism, we're very proud to present the Truth Teller Award to Doug Eastett. Doug? Uh, Forty years ago this month, I was a freshman at WVU. Kind of scary to think it's been that long, but uh, I was doing a uh, history project, uh, my first term paper at WVU, and my uh, professor, Dr. Sophia Blade, said, "Well, you're a history major. You come from Mingo County. I want you to do a paper on something historical in Mingo County." So I went down to the library, got into the uh, microfilm, and started looking back through old newspapers and things like that. And I hit upon the Glen Allen. Broadway happened just down the line here, and I thought, this is great, this is my story, this is what I'm going to do. Well, I figured that out, and I just keep on scrolling and scrolling and looking around, and all of a sudden, a, a headline pops up, 10 men killed and shoot out of Maywan. And I was just stunned. I grew up just across the county. I've been to Maywan numerous times. I grew up in a family of miners. My grandfather was a miner. All my uncles, I had an aunt who was a miner. Never heard a word of this. I used to see pictures in the UMW journals tent colonies near me one and I asked my grandfather and uncle, what's this now? That's old history. Wouldn't talk about it. I was stunned. I was just absolutely stunned. So before long I'm cutting class and I'm going to the library and I'm digging through this stuff and uh, just really it started out as a passion and uh, an interest and then it became a passion and almost a, an obsession. And I always thought I was just this kind of mind word word nerd out there, you know, doing this stuff. When I got involved with the uh, preservation effort in Charlestown, I started going out and talking to people about this history, and I started meeting other people and finding other people who knew a little bit or who had interest. And then when that uh, effort was successful, uh, about the same time they pulled the uh, Blair Mountain off the register, and I told my wife, who I called the jailhouse widow, I said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm going to get involved in another preservation fight. And what I came up with was the whole country tours, because the people in Logan and elsewhere were poo-pooing the idea that this was of any importance and I thought, you know, not only is it historically important, but it could also be a tourism resource for the state too. But as I learned about the history and, and delved deeper and deeper into it, I started thinking about my grandfather who went into the mines at uh, 14 years old, 1910, and he lived his whole life, worked in the mines, and when I read the stories of, of the sacrifices that were made and the things that people did, I, I just felt compelled tell the story to share it. And so it's been a great pleasure, it's been an honor, it's been fun, it's been a, a great ride. I've met so many wonderful people. And so uh, I'm, I'm very honored uh, to have this, and especially Frank King, that means a lot to me. So thank you very much. <laughs>
All right, one more, one more. All right, we've got an award named after Mother Jones. Mother Jones once said, I'm not a humanitarian, I'm a Hellraiser. So this award is called the Hellraiser Award. Um, it's uh, somebody who embodies the spirit of Mother Jones. Mother Jones, of course, first came to West Virginia in 1897. And over the next two decades was threatened, shot at, jailed while trying to organize minors. She often said, uh, pray for the dead and fight for the living. When recalling Mother Jones' quest to organize workers and improve the lives of the downtrodden, it is difficult to imagine anyone more fitting to receive this year's award than Charles Hawkeye Dixon. I want to say over the course of four decades, Hawkeye has fought as a member, organizer, and officer of the United Mine Workers. You know, Mother of Jones did not achieve her legendary uh, status with one action or one strike, but with a lifetime of work, and that's what I think Hawkeye has done here. Uh, when the future of the UMWA was at stake, as it was during the 1984-1985 UMWA strike against Don Blankenship and Massey Energy, Hawkeye on the front line. When the pensions of retired miners were threatened because of the recent coal bankruptcies, Hawkeye was protesting in Charleston and lobbying in Washington. When election time rolls around, Hawkeye is around. Um, and he's campaigning for political leaders who support working people. And even when documentary filmmakers come to Appalachia for information and they want to tell the truth, in films such as Blood on the Mountain and From the Ashes, they come to Hawkeye for answers. And as many of you know, he served as an indispensable organizer and officer of the local UMWA 1440 right here in May 1 for many years. And of course, he's a great friend of all of us, and he's a founding member of the Mine Wars Museum. We think Mother Jones would be proud. <laughs> After the presentations, Abby Huggins spoke one on one with a few of the folks who brought food to the event, including some of its organizers. My name is Krista Martin. And um, I'm from Daisytown, Pennsylvania, which is a little, very tiny coal town outside of Pittsburgh. So, And what brings you here today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what brings me here today would be my husband, who sits on the board of the Mine Wars Museum and was actually one of its founders. And he said, hey, we're going to have some ethnic food. And um, what do you think? Would you make something? And I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, I do like to support it. I've been down. I was down at the museum opening. And and um, I do like to, you know, support the cause and, and spread awareness of what the history in this area is like because so much of it's forgotten. So I made uh, chirka paprikash, which is chicken paprikash for those who don't speak Hungarian. <laughs> and which I only know how to make because my husband's family is Hungarian, so... Can you describe the dish for people who aren't familiar with it? Oh, yeah, it? that probably would be a good thing. Um, it's, uh, it's chicken, 
And it's they all the recipes I looked at said always use the dark meat of the chicken, I think, because it's a cheaper cut and it's more flavorful. And this is more of a peasant dish. And uh, peppers with a lot of paprika and um, some onion. You serve it with um, egg noodles and a little bit of sour cream and some fresh dill. So <laughs> finding the fresh dill, that was not easy. <laughs> so... Yeah, and talk a little bit more about like this. Oh, we got some side <laughs> by comes side the trail. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can wait a second. Yeah, this won't be so bad. It'll just be some stuff to cut out. A very important demonstration of Mate Wan's other <laughs> big tourism draw. <laughs> Our trails around here. Oh, yeah. That's actually been a big part of uh, the tourism in this area. You know, this isn't an area that's heavily built up. There's not, you know, you don't pass a whole lot of fancy stores or outlet malls or anything around this area. So, you know, they're making do with what they've got. And a lot of people love to come down and, and ride that trail. There's actually a couple of them. I don't do the trail ride, so I don't know that much about them. <laughs> but I know that it's, you know, you see when you're driving down the road, you see like, you know, a restaurant that says like trail riders welcome. Like, so clearly, you know, this is something that's, that's building in terms of tourist opportunities in this area. <sighs> okay. So um, back to the, back food. to the proper cash. It's yeah. the most important part is the yeah. food. Yeah. And like, what, what story does that dish tell? Um, well, we actually went to, uh, Transylvania. We went to my husband's grandfather's village and we did not have paprikash there because we didn't actually stay there long enough to get anything to eat. Um, but just the kind of, I don't know, when you're at a place like a little tiny town in, uh, in the um, Carpathian Mountains, you know, you're, you're in an area where there's a, it's little villages, not very well populated. But the population is in these concentrations of little buildings and your little um, businesses and little houses, and you're going long distances in between these settlements. And it does kind of remind me of this area that um, that this is, you know, it's simple food, it's very good food, it's hearty, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like the Hungarian version of mac and cheese in terms of in terms of the comfort food level, um, and uh, you know, it just. It, it seems like when you're in those communities, it's a very fitting, you know, they use a lot of peppers and onions and you see paprika everywhere. <laughs> and uh, it just seems like a really good, um, since those communities are similar to these communities in southern West Virginia, it, it seems like, yeah, this is something that would be very, if, if you had come here, you know, from Transylvania, you would see a, a topography that was very similar and the, the way that the settlements are is very similar. And, you know, so it kind of seems like it would make a good fit. So um, I like it when people get together, though. You know, um, so much of the world kind of ignores West Virginia and especially southern West Virginia. And it's, it's almost like the people here, you know, out in the world, they see Southern West Virginia as like a place where nobody talks to outsiders and, and they just go and work in whatever coal mines are left and then they go home or whatever. And to see people like come together and, 
you know, celebrate history, celebrate diversity, you know, celebrate, you know, the things that have made this, you know, this community and this state what it is, you know, it's nice to be part of that, however you can be. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that kind of relates to what I was going to ask. It's like, why does this event matter? Why did these stories and these foods matter? Yeah, because, yeah, these these are where our origins are. I mean, if you forget where you came from, then, you know, how do you know where you're going? <laughs> that seemed really profound. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to say about... Um, everybody food, everybody needs to... Museum? Everyone should eat the... Popper cash because I do not want to bring home leftovers. <laughs> so that that's my most important message. <laughs> Eat the popper cash. You can each introduce yourself. My name is Elijah Hooker. I'm a member of the board for the Mind Wars Museum. Uh, at today's event, I made a recipe that is dear to my family. Uh, it's a Lebanese shortbread cookie known as kike. The recipe, of course, comes from my great-great-grandfather, who was a Lebanese immigrant, settled in the coal fields in the early 20th century. Uh, as for today's event, I'm, I'm glad to see that we had the, the crowd that showed up uh, that uh, ultimately serves to, to bolster our efforts as a museum uh, and to also showcase the theme of the event, and that is the, the rich ethnical history of, of the coal fields here in southern West Virginia. So I was very pleased in that aspect. Hi, I'm, I'm Chuck Keeney. I'm a board member of the Mine Wars Museum. And uh, I think the event is important. It's, we always like to hold a couple of events like this every year uh, to bring people to Mate One because it's an out-of-the-way place. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to do that. One of the great things about this specific event, this strike supper as we call it, is that uh, we were able to focus on breaking another stereotype. That's one of the, our big missions with our museum is really fighting stereotypes. And of course, the big stereotype about Appalachia is this racially and ethnically homogenous region. And this was a way to do that through food. And I, and I think that's a, something that you're seeing sweeping across the country in the last few years, people using food as a good ambassador for culture and I think that you know what we're doing is just a part of that larger trend but it's good to see that here and it's good to see that so many people turned out and really seem to enjoy themselves yeah um, I really enjoyed the um, the red bandana awards mm. that was an interesting thing for y'all to do to recognize like history and present I wonder if you could speak just a little bit about what that was. Yeah, well, um, we really started with the, the idea of the Red Bandana Awards a few months back after the teacher's strike, and we wanted to do something to commemorate that. And, of course, Wilma Steele, who uh, is, is sometimes known as the bandana lady because she's always giving out bandanas to everyone and telling them the story. And it's just a wonderful little token, a wonderful little way uh, of uh, expressing our gratitude for people that preserve heritage, um, promote heritage tourism. And, you know, I've said for a long time, the red bandana is like a scarlet thread throughout West Virginia and Appalachian history. And uh, I think it's important that we keep that alive. And I think it's, it's nice that it's a symbol of pride now. Uh, and it, it's retaken its, its meaning from the hills uh, of this 
idea of resistance, the idea of solidarity and workers' rights and standing up for the downtrodden, as opposed to, you know, someone with a Confederate flag in the back of their truck screaming, get her done, and get passersby, you know what I mean? So uh, I think it's uh, a step in the right direction. These things take time, you know, uh, you know, altering the, the nation's perspective about who we are. It takes time, but this is, a, you know, something that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, uh, just any more thoughts about about the food that you made, uh, the stories that you might have heard that they were interesting to you? Well, uh, one thing that I, I take immense pride in is the fact that well, I'm a fourth generation descendant of a Lebanese immigrant. Even though he passed away 50 years ago, so we have managed to keep those traditions alive still this very day. Um, and I think that's something that, that's certainly uh, to be proud about. Uh, I think that, that too often uh, we get in, involved in, in the mess of uh, that can be politics this very day, and, and we can forget who we are and, and where we came from, particularly in today's environment. And I think sometimes we need to have that moment of clarity where we can all step back and, and look at the bigger picture to see that uh, that we all have very diverse backgrounds, roots from which we all sprung from. And uh, so I think that the events today helped uh, to showcase all of that. Great. And if, uh, if people listening on the radio want to know more about the Mine Wars Museum, which they mm -hmm. do. They should visit our website at wvminewars.com or check us out on Facebook. Or better yet, uh, come to the Mine Wars Museum in Mate 1 and, and see why it is that so many people are drawn to this history. You have to see it for yourself. Cool. Well, anything else you want to add? There's pork left over. Um, <laughs> there is plenty of food to go around. <laughs> yes. Yes. And plenty of people here, though, to share it. So. Yes, there are. All right. Well, thank you all so thank much. You. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of working for nothing And my top that's ready to fall if we can't dig this coal without danger, we ain't gonna dig it at all. And the wind blows hard up the holler through the trees with a whistling sound. But the sun's gonna shine in this old mine, and no one can turn us around. If it weren't for the underground miner, not a light in this country would burn You'd think that they'd work with the union But they fight us at every damn turn And the wind blows hard up the holler Through the trees with a whistling sound But the sun's gonna shine in this old mine And no one can turn us around And the wind blows hard up the holler Through the trees with a whistling sound But the sun's gonna shine in this old
stand here at Brookside And I'll use any tool I can find You can lock me up tight in your jailhouse But you can't put a chain on my mind And the wind blows hard up the holler Through the trees where the whistling sound But the sun's gonna shine in this old mine That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring audio from the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum's Strike Supper, held in September 2018. To learn more about the museum, you can find them online at wvminewars.com. Special thanks to Abby Huggins for recording the audio used in this piece. Music on this episode features Cy Khan with a tune called Brookside Strike from his album New Wood, which was recorded on Apple Shop's own June Apple Records in 1994. To listen to this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website at wmmt.org, or you can download Mountain Talk as a podcast from SoundCloud or Stitcher. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio.